Last week, we talked about the idea of getting ignited, getting a, your soul, your passion, your enthusiasm for God. Maybe you had that at one point. Maybe you were a Christian, been a Christian for a while. You became a Christian at some point in your life, and you just had that automatic, that automatic enthusiasm, just wanted to honor God, just wanted to know what God had to say, and then, and then you were just going to do it no matter what, no matter what it costs, no matter you know, how hard it was, no matter what the challenges that you faced, no matter what the obstacles that were in front of you, you were just going to honor God when in your life, and that was you at one point, but then life sort of gets in the way, life happens, and circumstances come our way, and challenges come our way, and we sort of lose that, you know, that passion. We lose that enthusiasm for God, and it's just sort of, you know, sort of diminishes, and, and now for you, it's just a, you know, a slow ember. It's just a, you know, it's there, it's there a bit, and, and so I've been, you know, we, we, last week, we started with the why, we started with the why. why. Why have, why allow yourself, allow God to work in your life? Why have a passion for God? You know, why be enthusiastic for God? Why do certain things that, you know, God wants us to do and, and tells us that this is how you find, you know, thrill. This is how you find joy. This is how you find peace. And so we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, you know, the what, you know, the what. Um, but last week we talked about the why. And I want to just kind of give you, if you weren't here, uh, I want to give you just this, the, the four things that I shared uh, last week is you were guided by someone else. Why, you know, why guide somebody? Why love somebody? Why do something for other people? Why love one another as Jesus commanded us to do? You know, because somebody loved you, because somebody guided you. Why invest time into somebody? Because somebody guided you. Uh, you have spiritual gifts to offer. You, if you know Christ is your Savior, you receive Christ. You, God has given you a gift of, of the Spirit of God, a special ability, maybe a couple special abilities to do things that you couldn't do on your own. The third thing is you have been given great resources. Great resources to love people, great resources to guide people, great resources to utilize your gifts. And those resources, he says, are power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and, and self-control. That, that God gives you a, a, an ability, and it's the spirit of God inside of you. The, the, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he, said, he says, you know that you have the same power that raised Christ from the grave? You, is that, that same power is in you. That's the kind of power that you have. So you think, I can't do it. You think, I don't have the ability to do it. You think, I don't have the strength to do it. And God says, yeah, you do. You have the spirit of God in you. You have the power to be able to do that. And then you have the ability to love people that are hard to love. You have the ability to love people unconditionally. You have the ability to love people that maybe don't deserve your love. You have the ability to forgive those that have hurt you and wronged you and disappointed you. God says you have this resource inside of you to love in the same way that Jesus loved you. That when you and I didn't deserve it, when you and I didn't earn it, when you and I didn't have you know, you know, the means of which we can you know, attain a relationship with God, he says, I, 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 I loved you anyways. You know, he says that God, the Bible says this, is that God has demonstrated his love for us that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. That's the love that God has given to all of us to, to exhibit and to demonstrate. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. And then self, the ability to have self-control, the ability to have discipline in your life, the ability to make, you know, decisions that are helpful and healthy for you. 
The ability to say no to the temptations that come your way. The ability to say, you know what, I, that, that's not, I'm not alive to that anymore. I'm, I'm dead to that kind of sin. I'm dead to that way of life, and I'm now alive in Christ. God has given you that discipline, that self-control to do that. These are the whys. And then the last one is you were granted amazing grace. That's a why. A why for what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is this. You and I, because of Jesus, have been granted amazing, incredible, unbelievable, can't wrap our mind around it, grace. That's what you and I have been given. You and I have been given this, this, this um, gift of God that says, listen, you don't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You can't work for it. You can't do enough. You can't follow enough rules. You break your own rules. You have rules for yourself. You break your own rules. And I'm just going to say, here, you put your faith in my son Jesus, and I'm going to give you grace, grace to know that you can be forgiven of your sins, grace to know that you can have eternal life and be in his presence when you leave this place. That's amazing grace. Don't you think? church and so why why well I think these are good reasons why and now for you it's and for me what what do we do now what do we do well continuing on just a little recap of last week but our our mission as a church I just want us to remind you I told you I was going to be you know you know Put this at your forefront, you know, every single week is our mission as a church is to love people and to grow in Jesus. That's our mission as a church. Love people and to grow in Jesus, no matter what, where they are, no matter what, you know, where their preferences are, or where they come from in their life, no matter what they're going through, that our, our job as a, as a Christian, our job as followers of Jesus and is, to, is to love people, love people, no matter what. And then we don't want people to stay where they're at, and, I, and God doesn't want you to stay where you're at, that Christianity is a, is a movement. Christianity is, is a process, it's, it's you're growing, and so, so the goal for you, hopefully your greatest goal in your life is to grow in Jesus. In other words, to grow more like Jesus, to be more like Jesus. The, he set the best example for us. I just, I'm a simple guy, and, and I'm a simple just person. I, I think I just want my life to be like Jesus. I just want my decisions to be informed the way that Jesus made his decisions. I want to treat people the same way that Jesus treated people. I want to love in the same way that Jesus loved people. That's just, and I, so and I'm growing. I'm, I'm becoming more like Christ, and hopefully that's your goal as well. Well, Jesus also had a mission. So our mission is similar, but worded differently, but our mission is similar than Jesus's mission. Jesus's mission, you can find, you know, different, different ways in which he said this, but, you know, we're gonna look at, today we're gonna look at Luke 19. So if you brought a Bible, we're gonna be looking at Luke 19. There's a Bible somewhere in your seat around you where we're also gonna have the, you know, the Sky Bible up there, up on the screen for you as well. Um, but, uh, at Luke 19, verse 10, this is Jesus' mission. This is Jesus' mission. Here's what he said. He says, for the Son of Man has come. Jesus, why did you come? Why did you come? Why would you, you know, God, why did you leave heaven, leave your place, your rightful place in heaven? God, why did you come to this earth? Why did you do that? He says, because I came to seek. I came to pursue. I came to go after. I came to, you know, you know, pursue and look at, look for, and to save that which was lost. And so Jesus saw people in two different categories. Jesus saw people in two different categories. He saw people that were either found or lost. 
That's the way he saw people. He didn't see people based on their, you know, their race or their, you know, or their preferences or you know, their, their ethnicity or their whatever the case may be. He didn't see people based on their gender you know, or their, their status, their social status. He saw people one, he, one or two ways. He saw them as either lost or found. Lost or found. They either were saved or they were condemned. You see it? Jesus, that's the way that Jesus saw people. He says, I, and I'm going, and, and, and he goes, I want to make sure that my mission is that I'm going to seek after and save those from the judgment of God. I'm going to save those who are lost to God, and I want them, his goal was always, I want them to be found. That was my goal. That's my mission. Jesus said, that's my mission. By the way, if that's Jesus's mission, that ought to be our mission. If that's the way that Jesus saw people, that ought to be the way that we see people. And so the overarching I theme that we see in Scripture, especially when it comes to Jesus's mission and Jesus's time here on this planet, was this, this idea of what we call the first what, what number one, okay? We already talked about the why, now we're talking about the what. What number one is, we think we are called as Christians, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you, this doesn't apply to you, but if you are call yourself a Christian, if you've received Christ, if you've re received the gift of grace, this is what you should do, Okay. First, what is invest and invite? Invest and invite. Invest in people and invite them to experience Jesus. Invest in people and invite them to experience the life of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, that's the first what that we're gonna be talking about uh, over the next few minutes this morning. Okay, Luke 19, starting in verse number one. And he entered Jericho... And he entered Jericho and was passing through, verse two, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this story before many times and um, you know what Zacchaeus, you know probably about tax collectors. You know, they, were, you know, they were rich enough that they could buy into the ability to tax people in all Roman provinces. That's, that's what they had the ability to do because they could buy that ability to do that. And then they would create this, you know, the pyramid system, you know, the pyramid scheme, you know, maybe you know it as. Um, no offense to anybody that, if, if I'm offending anybody there. Um, he would create a pyramid system um, and, and then he would, you know, they would, you know, assign or he would hire people to be assigned to different places or in different provinces within the Roman Empire. And so these people would then, you know, hire out people to work these booths. And then at these booths, these tax collectors would, would tax people that would come through and into different cities and different places in the, within the Roman providence. And they would, you know, create a surcharge. They would, they would you, know, you know, create a, a tax that was higher than what even the Roman, you know, tax required. And people knew that. People knew that, and so they hated tax collectors because of that. So people would go in, and they would, you know, there would be a, you know, a food tax, there would be, you know, a, a housing tax, an income tax, a travel tax. I mean, there was all these different kinds of taxes that people would have to pay into. And so Zacchaeus established this system, you know, or he was one of these guys that established, and he was on the top of the pyramid. 
He was on the top of the pyramid and he had people that worked for him. And so they would create this surcharge and people would be overtaxed and it created this, this tremendous amount of tension between you know, the Jews. They would be considered to be outcasts because it was these Jews that would be considered traitors. They would work for the, these, this Roman Empire who, you know, who was now holding them under oppression and so they would be considered traitors. So they were just, the, they were just outcasts. They were outcasts from culture. They couldn't worship in their temples anymore. They forfeited that right to do that. So Zacchaeus was probably a Jewish man. Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, we know was a tax collector. He was a Jewish man who forfeited his right to worship. He forfeited his right to, you know, to, to, you know, to, to participate in, in, in the culture of his people. He, 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 he gave all of that up. The irony here is this. Though he was like the bottom of the barrel, though Zacchaeus was the scum of the earth, you know what his name meant? His name meant righteous one. His name, Zacchaeus, the name meant righteous one. Now, if you, just because he was named the righteous one doesn't mean that that's how he was viewed as. But what he was viewed as, he was viewed as scum. He was viewed as the bottom of the barrel. He was viewed as, they would even create their own categories. You know, the Pharisees, who were the religious guys at the time, they would say, look at Jesus, he's hanging out with the sinners, and then they wouldn't clump, you know, lump in tax collectors. They would say, he's hanging out with sinners, own category, and tax collectors. Tax collectors had their very own scum of the earth category. That's how they were viewed. And so here now in this story, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, which means righteous or righteous one. And he was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a to any tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And man, he was rich. And the reason why he was rich is because he was ripping his own people off. He was taking from his own people. He was pilfering from his own, poaching from his own people. And he was rich because of it. Now, we think about those people and we think, man, I don't want nothing to do with them. I wouldn't have a conversation with them. Man, they're ripping me off. Man, I'm, they're overcharging me taxes, you know, food tax, travel tax, you know, housing tax. Man, I'm getting overcharged. Man, I don't want nothing to do. I don't want to have a conversation with them. But that's not what Jesus did. Story goes on in verse three. Look what it says. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd. For he was small in stature. You know the story. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, you know. And he was small in stature, so he couldn't see. So here he is. Interesting, interesting. He was rich. He was rich, but yet he was still curious about Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He had everything that this world had to offer. He probably had every material possession, the biggest house that, you know, that, that they could buy at that time. As much stuff as they can, you know, food in, you know, in their pantry. He had everything that he wanted that the world can offer, yet there was something inside of him that told him that there was something more that he needed. Do you see it? And you can have all the things that this world has to offer, but they'll never satisfy. You can have all the things that this life has to give you, but they will never, ever, ever fulfill and Jesus is now walking through Jericho and Zacchaeus is now hearing that Jesus is walking through Jericho and he's now thinking to himself, man, I've heard about this guy. I want to know more about this guy. I want to hear what this guy has to say because there's something inside of me. He was rich in stuff, but he was bankrupt. Listen to me, listen to me. He was rich in stuff, but he was bankrupt in the spirit of God. 
He was bankrupt. And you can have all the things that this world has to offer, but you can still be bankrupt. And you'll never be satisfied and you'll never find the joy and the peace that only Jesus has to offer. And so he climbs up this tree and he says in verse four, so he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. Then it says this, verse five, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him. Now, here's what Jesus could have said to him and here's what maybe you would have said to him if you were in the, I know it's hard for us to think in this time and this culture, um, but think about somebody who's ripped you off. Think about somebody who has wronged you. Think about somebody that has, you know, just taken advantage of you. Think about somebody that has just disappointed you over and over and over again. Try to put yourself in that emotion. Try to put yourself in that circumstance of somebody that you keep trying to, you know, work at and trying to get to, you know, get them on the right track and they continue to make the same old mistakes over and over and over and over again. Try to put yourself in that situation. This was Zacchaeus. And Jesus when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, look, look, what he, look what he said to him. You scum of society, you lying, cheating, despicable thief of a human. <laughs> oh, he wasn't done. Jesus wasn't done. You are a disgrace to your own people and an unclean in the eyes of God. That's what Jesus, now, you, you know the story. That's not what Jesus did. You, you don't even know, you, you're like, that's not what Jesus said. Even though if that was you or me in a certain situation of of our life or or interaction with people that maybe we're in relationship with, that may have been what you may have said, in other words, maybe other ways, but that may have been your response, but that wasn't what Jesus, he didn't call him the scum of society, he didn't call him a liar or a cheater, even though he was, right? Even though he was, he was a despicable thief, he was a disgrace to his own people, He was unclean in the eyes of God. All of these things were the way that people saw Zacchaeus, but that wasn't how Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Jesus saw Zacchaeus simply lost, and he needed to be found. You with me? Of all the things that Jesus could have said, that's not what he said. Jesus said it, actually said it this way. He says in verse five, Zacchaeus, hey, righteous one. I love that. Righteous one, hurry, come down. For today I must stay at your house. What? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You, like all the things he could have said. And he, Jesus is now going, hey, Zacchaeus, righteous one. Hey, come on down. We're going to your house. Let's go, man. Hurry. Look at all these people here. All these people wanting to like, you know, get me, you know, hear from me and, you know, hang out with me. And, but, but, you know, all, no, no matter what all these people want. Hey, Zacchaeus, you thief. No, he didn't say that. He said, hey, righteous one, come on. Come on down. We're going to your house. You know what Jesus was so good at? Jesus was so good at this. Jesus invested time in their space before he invited them into his. He was so good at this. He invested time in their space before he invited them into his. 
You know, I, and I don't know, you know, what the circumstances were. And I don't, maybe, you know, maybe Matthew, you know who we know, Matthew, tax collector, wrote book of Matthew, right? Maybe Matthew knew Zacchaeus. Maybe Matt and Zach were friends, right? And maybe they, you know, may, who knows? Maybe, you know, when Jesus called Matthew to follow him, you know, and then mem- what did Jesus do after Jesus called Matthew to follow him? Jesus said, hey, Matthew, we're going to your house. Same thing. We're going to your house. Hey, Matthew, I want you to invite all of your tax collector friends over to your house. Maybe Zach was there. And maybe, maybe Matthew was like thinking, man, there's nothing better than following Jesus. But Zach is still because, you know, he's getting richer and richer. And, you know, he's got all the things of the stuff of this world. But maybe, maybe Matthew's praying for Zach. Maybe Matthew's thinking about Zach and thinking, go, man, if I can just get him to you know, come and, and to be invited into the presence of Jesus, man, that maybe that, that will change. And maybe he's, he's praying for them. But you know what Jesus was so good at? Jesus was so good at investing time in their space before he invited them into his. We fall into this trap, the social media trap. Now, the social media does a lot of good things. It really does. It does a lot of amazing things for a lot of us. But listen, here's the danger what happens when it comes to relationships in social media. You can know a lot about someone, but you may not ever know them. You know what I'm saying? Like you can go on their page and you can observe different things about someone, you know, the things that they like, the things that they don't like, the places that they like to go, you know, people that they hang out with, things, hobbies and things that they like to do. You can know a lot about somebody, but not actually know them. And this is sometimes what gets lost in today's culture with social media that we don't engage in and invest time in people because either we think that we already know them and they think that they already know us or we just don't wanna invest the time. And we don't, and, and Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to, I want you to come and I wanna hang out with you. I want, I'm gonna go to your, your space. I'm gonna go in your, your house and we're gonna spend some time together. Before Jesus even said, hey, Zacchaeus, come on, come on with me. Come on, Zacchaeus, follow me. Zacchaeus, he didn't even say, Zacchaeus, get down from the sycamore tree, little man. Come on, follow me. Let's go, shorty. You know, he didn't say any of that. He said, come on. Get on, come on, hurry down. We're going to spend some time in your space. In verse six, it says this. this. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. He received him gladly. Boy, I, I gotta tell you, I mean, this is what he's calling us to do. And then he says, verse seven, look what happens. When they saw it, now this is the rest of the crowd. When they saw it, they all began to grumble. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So the rest of the crowd is like, oh, what, why is he, doesn't he know who that is? Everybody knows that that's Zacchaeus. He's the chief tax collector. He's the top of the pyramid. He's the one ripping us all off. And Jesus is inviting him down out of the tree. Man, I would hang that guy from that tree if I had a chance to. And Jesus is telling him to get down from that tree and he's going to go and hang out and be a guest with him, a sinner. 
Now, maybe they weren't there when Jesus was at Matthew's house and Jesus yelled out to those same they who were upset that Jesus was at Matthew's house that one day and invited all the tax collectors over to Matthew's house and Jesus yelled out, hey, you know this one. It's not the well who needs a doctor. It's the sick. That's what he's, and maybe they weren't here to hear that. Maybe they didn't hear that, but that was Jesus like, hey, listen, why would I, if I'm the great physician, why, why do I you know, need to like hang out with the, the think, people that think that they're good, think, think they're well? You know, it's the sick who need the doctor. Man, you heard me last week. I was sick. And you know what I didn't call? I didn't call any one of you because there's no doctors in here. At least I don't know of. If you're a doctor, let me know. Save me some money on some copays or something. I don't know. <laughs> I had to go see a doctor because I was sick. You're like, wow, you're really blowing my mind today. It's not brain surgery here. This is Jesus going, why would I, why do I, why, why would I hang out with those who are, are good? Those who are well. He says, I'm here. My mission is here to go and to seek and to save those who are lost. I'm here because I'm the great physician. I'm here to go and pursue those who are sick, who need to be made well, because Jesus would say, I'm the only remedy. I'm the only antidote that will save for those that can be found. Church, you and I, as the body of Jesus, are that antidote. You and I are the, that, that opportunity to go and to invest. And maybe it starts with you, maybe it starts with you pursuing the goal of being a guest. You know, you know what our church is good at? Our church is good at being the host. Our church is really good at being the host. We, we do an amazing job. I, I, I know I'm the pastor, and I know like I'm kind of bragging a little bit, but not really because our other staff do do incredible job, Michael and Kim, and they do an amazing job, and they just tell me when to show up and what to do. And so, but we do an amazing job at host. Like we have events and we, we invite people to come to our church and people come and, and we're always sort of like surprised, you know, like they actually came to church. Like what in the world? But we invited them and they came. What a concept. But we're really good at being the host. But how well are we as not collectively, but individually? How well, but how well are we at being the guests for somebody that may be unchurched? Somebody that may be lost. Somebody that may be sick. How well are we? How well are you? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I know for me, I'm, I'm not great. I'm not great. And I, and I need to, and, and my family, we need to be better at wanting to be guests for those who maybe are far from God. And I don't know where you fall. Maybe you aren't a miserable failure. Maybe you're always being invited over by your neighbor friends and for a barbecue and they love hanging out with you. They love spending time with you and they love just interacting with you and you have rebuilt a rapport and a relationship with them for you to then be able to say, hey, you know what? 
you know, the most important thing in my life is I have a relationship with Jesus. And the way that I express that is that we just come, we go to this church and we would love for you to come and join us with the church. Man, I would love for you to do that. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's you. And I, and I applaud you for that. I give you a, a round of applause for that. You do an amazing job if that's you. But here's what I know because I am in this world and I lead people and I've been in church world a long time and I read the statistics and I know that it really probably doesn't happen much. Can we just be honest? We're really good and you're like, yeah, we're having our church is having a thing and we're inviting the community and, and I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna love people. Listen, listen, that's great and we're gonna continue to do that. But what if you decided I'm gonna be more like Jesus and I'm gonna p- try to pursue being a guest? I'm gonna try to be their guest. I'm gonna, I'm gonna not like say no to those play dates. I'm not gonna like volunteer to drive myself to that field trip where I can maybe go into a car with somebody else. I'm not gonna decline the, 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 the neighborhood barbecue or the neighborhood bonfire anymore. I'm gonna actually try to go and be there and be Jesus there. You're like, man, this sounds hard. Yeah, yeah, kind of hard. Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. You're not gonna go to prison for it like Paul did. You're not gonna be lashed. You're not gonna be, you know, you might be, you know, you know because you're, you, know, you don't have the same you know, type of you know, habits. Or, but listen, you're, you're, you might be snickered at. Big deal. Suck it up. Quit being a bunch of wimps. Talking to myself, talking to myself here. Not you, not, not you. You guys are amazing. You might be a they if you say. Here, here's, here's they. They are the one that grumbled. Remember that? They grumbled. They're like, why is he going to hang out? You might be a they if you say some of these things. So this may be you. You shouldn't hang around people like that. You might be a they if you say you shouldn't hang around people like that. You might be a they if you say, they have a lot of issues to work through before I get involved. You know how many issues Zacchaeus had? You imagine if Jesus said, you know what, Zacchaeus, you stay over that tree until you get your act together, brother. He would be up there a long time. But Jesus is like, no, 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 don't worry, don't worry. I, I know we're not on the same page right now. I know that you don't believe what I believe. I know that we're not, you have different things. But I want you to come down. I want you to hurry down, and I want to be your guest. I want to be your guest. I want to go in your space. Maybe you're a they if you say, I'm more comfortable with people who are not, who are Christians than with people who are not. I'm more comfortable with people who are Christians than with people who are not. You might be a they if you say, people who don't go to church can come if they, if they want. You know, I'm not gonna stop anybody. You know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna be like, you know, you can't, I'm not gonna block the door. They can come if they want, but I'm not gonna invest and invite why would Jesus, why would Jesus be willing to go 
through all this, to, willing to go to his turf? Why would Jesus be willing to, to go be his guest? Why, why would Jesus be willing to invest time with those who have given up on God. I mean, that's essentially what the Zacchaeus did. He said, you know what? I don't need God. I don't need my own people. I just want to be rich. I just want to do my own thing. Why would Jesus invest with those who have given up on God? Why would he be willing to go to their turf? Here's why. Life change. Life change. This is why Jesus said, listen, I want to go and spend time with you. I want to go to your house. I want to go be your guest. I want to go invest time with you. I want to go so that I can then eventually invite you into my space. And the reason he did that and the reason why you should do that, the reason why we should do that as a church, collectively but also individually, is for the purpose of life change. Or in other words, Life transformation. Look what happened to Zacchaeus. Look what happened. Look what happened. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, he's calling him Lord. Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. He's like going, I just now... I'm experiencing your, your love. I'm experiencing your grace. I'm experiencing your kindness. Lord, half of my possessions I'm gonna give to the poor. He says, and he says, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. You know, that was way beyond what the law required. That was way beyond what the law required. The law only required Two times as much. But, didn't, but Zacchaeus is going, listen, I've experienced you, Jesus. I know that life change can happen with you, Jesus. So I'm going to give back more than what the law required. You know why he gave back more than what the law required? Because he received grace. He got grace from Jesus. And you know what happens when you get grace? You're going to give back grace. When you get the love and kindness and compassion of God, you're going to want to be generous and give back that in the same generosity that Jesus exhibited to you. That's why Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus had life change. And that's what can happen for your people that in your life that may be lost. They may be lost. Jesus said in verse nine, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to his house. Salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. Our invitation, our invitation is not about explaining something. Our invitation is about experiencing someone. See, we, we think that we need to have all these explanations of something. We need to understand something better. We have all these insecurities or fears or worries about, you know, maybe they're gonna fire some questions back at me and I'm not gonna know the answers to these questions. Listen, listen, listen. Your invitation and my invitation is not about explaining something. It's about experiencing some 
one. That's our invitation. Listen, listen. Matthew and Mark, who got his you know, information and dictated for Peter. Peter, who wrote letters to these churches. John, who was known as the beloved, who spent time experiencing Jesus and walking with Jesus and knowing Jesus and listening to Jesus. And, and guys like Paul, who, who didn't, wasn't just about explaining something. Paul had an experience with someone. James, the brother of Jesus. Jude, the other brother of Jesus. All of these guys who make up our New Testament scriptures, all of these guys, you know why they wrote? You know why they wrote? They didn't write to try to explain something. They wrote what they wrote. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James, Jude. They wrote not to explain something, but for you and for me to experience someone. Experience someone. That's what God wants you to, God wants you to experience Jesus in your life. Not for me, I don't get up here every single Sunday to try to get you, try to explain something to you. My plea and my urge and my passion, I'm trying to ignite something inside of all of us so that you can experience someone named Jesus. And you know what he will do for you he will change your life forever. It's not about explaining something. Hey, come and experience someone. And you know, for you and me, a living example is better than a lengthy explanation. A living example is better than a lengthy explanation. A couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, um, we were getting ready to board a plane, and my youngest son, Andrew, said, Dad, how can we fly? That was his question. Dad, why, why can we fly, or how can we fly? Something along those lines. And I sort of thought, well, should I, should I talk to him about, you know, Newton's laws of physics, you know? Should I give him the four forces of aerodynamics? You know, weight and lift and, you know, velocity and drag. Do you think he would have got any of that? No. So you know what I said to him? I said, you know how we can, no, I know we can fly? It's because we've seen it. I've done it. Look, we watched the plane take off. Look, it works. You know, sometimes with Jesus, what's better than a lengthy explanation is a living example. Sometimes for you, it's like exhibiting Jesus, showing love, showing kindness, showing grace, showing forgiveness, going out of your way, putting somebody else's needs before your own. Because a living example is better than a lengthy explanation. Come on. I mean, love is the best example of this. Isn't love better demonstrated than defined? Isn't love better demonstrated than defined? Like, don't try to demonstrate or, you know, define love. It's best when you just demonstrate love. A living example is better than a lengthy explanation. Experiencing someone is our goal. Not explaining or always trying to explain something. Hey, 
after I've been in your space for a while, would you come and be and share with me and mine? Because I found somebody that has changed my life forever. And I want you, because you're my friend or you're my family member, I want you to experience that same someone that I've placed in my life. Come on, demonstrations are better, aren't they? Come on, they're better. Come on, this is, this is a canister of salt, right? This is a canister of salt. And, and Jesus said, you are, you are the salt of the earth, right? You know what this looks like? This looks like an average church. This looks like an ordinary church. It's a bunch of salt getting together in the cylinder bottle, right? We, we're a bunch of salt right now in the cylinder bottle. Jesus didn't mean to say you're the salt of the earth. He didn't mean it to look like this, did he? What did he mean it to look? He mean it to look like you're supposed to be the salt. Be the salt. They knew that was coming. His salt is not meant to stay. Stay with, stay with me, stay with me. Salt was not meant to stay. Salt was meant to be used. What does salt do? Salt brings out the best in things, right? You put things on, brings out the best, brings out the flavor. What did salt do in that culture? It was a preservative. It was a preservative from decay. Some things are better demonstrated than explained, aren't they? Let me, I don't think you were convinced. Jesus said, I want you to be a sower. I want you to be a sower. I want you to sow the seed. Will you say, what's the seed? The seed is the word of God. Nothing more than that, nothing less than that. The seed is the word of God. The word of God is what God gives us for us to know God. If God wanted us to know more about God, he would give us more in his word, but he gave us his word as the parameter to know him and to grow in him. Is there more of God to know? Absolutely, but it's found in the depths, in the treasures of the scripture. And God says, you're a sower. Sow the seed of the word. Now, as a sower and with seed, you don't just hold on to this because it's not gonna produce anything, is it, if you just hold on to this? So you gotta sow. Chris gave me one that doesn't work. Come on, Renfro. You get the point. Some things aren't better demonstrated. That's the point. Some things are better, no. This is what God has called us to do. He says, don't leave, don't be salt, but don't leave it in the canister. Be a sower, but don't leave the seed, you know, in your own life. Just, you're meant to share that seed, spread that seed. You know what the issue is? The issue is not the sower. The issue is not the seed. The issue is the soil. So you just throw the seed and it some sticks, some doesn't. Some gets taken away. Some gets grown out. Some, these are, this is not your problem. You're called to just be a sower. We live in a dark world. We live in a world that is dark and broken and separated from God because of sin of God. We live in a dark world. But God says, you know what I want you to be? I want you to be a light that shines. I want you to be a light that shines in the darkness. 
I want you to go out into the world and I want you to be that light. I want you to represent Jesus as Jesus was. Jesus said, I've come to be the light of the world. And church, you're called and I'm called to be the light of the world that shines because darkness shines. Because darkness is is dispensed because of the light that shines. God has called us to be that. What would happen if we all shined our lights? What would happen if we all went out into our world and we shined our lights? Be no darkness. A living example is better than a lengthy explanation. Come on. Some things that help us kind of get our minds around this. A couple things, a couple statistics, and then I'm done. 82% of unchurched are at, least, are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. You got to invite them. Go out and invite somebody. 82% of unchurched will somewhat likely attend if, you're, if they were invited. Here's, what, here's the sad part. Only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. Only 2%. 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. 92%. So there's some things that you can look for. Indications for an invitation. Here's some ways that you can know that, you know, here's, a, here's some cues that you can take for somebody. Here's some indications for an invitation. Number one is this. No place to church. They don't have a place to go to church. That's a, that's a good way, for an indication for you to say, hey, I've got a church. Want to come church with me? As if it's a verb. No place to church. Here's another indication. Providential conversation. Maybe you get into a conversation with somebody and you just sense, wow, God's maybe worked in this conversation. There's a providential conversation. Third, third indication. There, maybe somebody's going through a pivotal circumstance. Maybe they're going through a tough time and you're going, you know what? I've gone through tough times in my life and you know what helps me? Jesus helps me. And my relationship with Jesus. And would you come? We, we worship at a church. We get together and we worship. And, and man, I'm telling you, it's life-changing for me and maybe it can be life-changing for you. These are some indications for, for an invitation for you. They don't have a place to church. Maybe you're in a pr- providential conversation. Or maybe they're going through a pivotal circumstance and you can step in and go, hey, I, I got something that's secure. I got something that could help you in this pivotal circumstance. They're either lost or they're found. They're either dead or they're alive. They're either sick or they're well. That's the way Jesus saw people. Let's see people the same way that Jesus saw people. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just want to be people that are demonstrating who you are, demonstrating what you're about, showing our colleagues, our classmates, our neighbors, our family members that we've experienced life change and that they can have that too, that you've transformed our lives for the good, for the best, and God, you're still in the business of doing that for others. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that as a church, we want to make it our goal to be a guest before we ask them to be a guest.
that we become a guest for them and invest in them and, and want to know them because you love them, you care for them, and we want to love people because you love people. Help us to respond in the same way for those that maybe don't deserve it, maybe haven't earned it. Respond in the same way that your son Jesus did with every single one of us. We thank you for that love and that grace. We thank you that he gave us the best example to live by. And he demonstrated it for us before it was ever defined. We thank you for that love. I pray, Lord, that we love one another, that we love those and see those the way that you see people. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody.